Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Daniel Joseph. Thank you for joining us today on our live stream service. Uh, we are going to continue on in our series on the book of Hebrews. We are in the final chapter. We have covered, well, two weeks ago we covered verse 1. Last week we covered verse 2. And this week we will be covering verse 3. And to get things kicked off, let's take a look at what it says. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Now, the first thing I want to point out here is that in this statement is explicit. It is a direct statement that refers to believers. And we know this because we're talking about the body as in the body of Messiah. And the writer's concern is don't you dare forget the body of Messiah. Don't forget those who have been imprisoned for the gospel. Those who have been chained. You need in your spirit to be chained with them. When you think about the historical context surrounding this statement. In other words, so when the writer said these words, what was happening in those days? Well, if you go back, and, and remember, this was written, estimated about 60 AD to 68 AD. Well, during this time period, Emperor Nero rose to power. And there was great persecution against the church. So when the writer makes this statement, the audience, to the audience, this was something that they could implement immediately. It was tangible. It's, it's not something afar off that maybe someday we'll be able to get to do this. No, this is something they could act on that very moment. And so what I want to do today is I actually want to begin by taking you back to the Roman historian Tacitus. And we looked at his writings early on in this series. And Tacitus actually lived in the first century. So he's a contemporary, if you will, of uh, the writer of Hebrews and those that followed. And he, he's not a Jew. He's a secular historian. And so we're, we're not accessing a resource, a biblical resource here. And that's what makes this so fascinating. We're simply looking at what did the secular historian record? Because he recognizes Christians, as you'll note in just a moment. He recognized what Nero did to them. And I want to share this with you because it's not just relevant for the writers uh, in his day or to his audience. Uh, what is shared here is relevant to us today and is going to become more relevant with each passing day. And so let's circle back, and I want to look at what he's commenting on here. And just the, the backdrop here is Tacitus, he's dealing with the great fire in Rome. And this happened in AD 64. And you can go study it on, on your own, but just to simplify it for you, it was thought that Nero himself set fire to Rome, which ended up burning. Now, you think of Rome in all its glory in those days. Three cities, three quarters of the city burned to the ground. Over half the population became homeless virtually overnight. I mean, this, this fire was out of control for six days. And so 
the blame was getting put by the people on Nero. But Nero does something so as to distract. Let's take a peek at this commentary. This is what we read. But all human efforts, all the lavish gifts of the emperor, meaning Nero, and the propitiations of the gods, meaning him giving all these sacrifices to the gods, I'm going to show myself honorable, did not banish the sinister belief that the conflagration, the fire, was the result of an order. In other words, he couldn't do, it was getting out of hand. The people knew Nero gave the order to burn the city. And they're livid. And so he goes on, he says, Consequently, to get rid of the report... Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, called Christians by the populace. Isn't that interesting? So Nero, to take the heat off himself so that he doesn't get himself in hot water, he puts it on not anyone else. He specifically puts it on the Christians who were hated because they believed Yeshua was the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of glory, the one who can redeem us, who can forgive our sins. He is the one who resurrected and sits at the right hand of the Father. That testimony, the beautiful testimony of the gospel was absolutely an abomination in the eyes of the world in the first century and nothing's changed, right? And so he affixes Nero, puts it on the Christians, someone that's already hated. This is easy because when you tell people things that they want to believe, things go very badly. Okay? And, you know, I can't help but think about World War II and the Jews. Uh, Hitler affixing blame for their economic issues their health issues. He affixed every, basically every issue that Germany was dealing with. It was the Jews' fault. And you just had German after German coming on board and believing, oh yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, these dirty Jews, they are our problem. And you saw how that worked out. Not so good. Well, it doesn't work out so good in the first century either. See, this is the spirit of Antichrist. And when the spirit of Antichrist moves in this manner, that's when things get really ugly, but it is just vile. It moves with a lying spirit, condemning the innocent, condemning them, charging them with charges that they didn't commit, crimes they didn't commit, are being heaped up on them. I'm going to tell you, this is going to become quite tangible to us very soon, and I would argue already is. It's, it's at least in its infancy stage, as you see, the Christians are going to be blamed today. Like if you want to go to church under this, you know, alleged pandemic known as the COVID crisis, right? If you want to go to actual church, even though they've commissioned by law, you can't go to church. But, you know, these same people that want to go to church, they're welcome to go to Walmart or they're welcome to go to the hardware store. Or they're welcome to go to the grocery store, but you just can't go to church. And if you do go to church, guess what? You're a horrible person. You don't care about humanity. In fact, you hate humanity. And you're a threat, frankly, to the environment. You're a threat to the society. You want to kill everybody because you want to go to church or because you want to sing praises to Yeshua. This is quite literally becoming tangible.
and it's going to increase. The demonization of the church, mark my words, is going to increase. And I can say this confidently because the spirit of Antichrist is moving. And you can see it. There's evidence all over the place. And so this stuff, uh, what we're reading here in history, it might as well be front page news, if you will. All right, continuing on. Christus, referring to Christ, from whom the name had its origin, in other words, Christians, the origin of the name comes, obviously, from Christ, or Christos, uh, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus, in a most, in other words, Pontius Pilate, as he's typically referred to, in a most mischievous superstition. <laughs> calling the teachings and the truth of who Yeshua was uh, mischievous. Notice the, the adjective here, right? That mischievous superstition. It's not just a superstition. Typically, those are harm, harmless. And you know what? People can hold superstitions and nobody really cares. Oh, unless it's this mischievous Christianity superstition, then it's a problem, okay? Then you have a real problem in the eyes of the world. Thus checked for the moment. And so once Yeshua was killed, they're saying it like froze. The faith had a moment where nothing happened. But again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome. So the gospel spread to Rome. And we know the apostle Paul was there, right? Where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center, become popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted, not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. You get this? And so here, when he says they all pleaded guilty, it wasn't in regard to setting fire to Rome. No, no. It was in regard because you hate mankind by clinging to your faith in Yeshua. By clinging to the gospel. By clinging to that truth. You are evil. Now, I am telling you, the precedent is being set for this very type of ideology. To sweep the land. It is being mobilized as we speak. And if, you know, Christians are going to want to go back to church again, yes, they're going to be deemed evil. I mean, this, this is coming. It's going to be seen as a mischievous superstition, as harmful. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished and were nailed to crosses and were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. Now you think about what Nero did here, the spirit of Antichrist, and how he vomited hell out in the first century upon precious believers, upon those who clung to the Lamb of God for hope. Because these precious little lambs that are precious in Yeshua's sight are absolutely despised by the Antichrist. He despises, he hates them with a vehement hatred. 
as we see the Antichrist start to move out into the land, I'm telling you, you need to get ready. You need to get locked and loaded in your faith. You need to be prepared. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who seek to live godly in Messiah Yeshua will suffer persecution. I'm telling you, we must through many tribulations enter in the kingdom of God. It is coming. Far too long have we recognized this beautiful freedom that we have had to freely assemble, to be able to get together and praise the precious name of our Lord. Praise Him for what He has done. Praise Him because He is worthy. Those days of being able to do that without fear of death are coming to an end, without fear of imprisonment. They're coming to an end. We need to get resolved in our hearts today. So as we look at this passage in its historical context, let's get back to the historical context. As we look at this passage in its historical context, I'm telling you, this was a commission that was tangible. Nay, I say it was necessary because of what was happening to the church in those days. And this is actually something that Yeshua himself warned. He warned it was happening in his own ministry. He says, they will lay hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to the synagogues. Oh, and into what? And prisons. You will be in prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. So for those of you who are going to be picking up their cross, you're going to be following Yeshua. Understand what's awaiting you. It is persecutions, it is tribulations, it is hatred, and it is imprisonments. To be in prison. This is what awaits us when we take on that precious name of Yeshua. And frankly speaking, Christianity in the West, Christianity in this country, has at best been soft. That's going to change. And those that wanted to flirt with the world and walk in the world and yet confess Yeshua as Lord, those days are coming to an end. Because the weak, the ones that aren't strong enough, the ones that let fear overtake them, they will not continue in this fight. They will not do it. They're going to falter. Now, I want to give you an example, a biblical example of Hebrews 13.3 being implemented and what that looks like and how powerful it is to not forget those who are in prison, to be as though chained with them. And to do this, I want to take you to Acts chapter 12. And we read, Now about this time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James the brother of John with the sword. Now, when it talks about Herod the king, we are talking about Herod Agrippa. And that's kind of important because, because we know we're talking about Herod Agrippa. We know what time period we're talking about. We are literally talking about the time frame of 41 AD to 44 AD. So sometime in that time period, we know for an absolute fact this was happening. We know that he went and uh, Agrippa killed James. And not just that, we continue... And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter. I mean, these were the titans of the faith. 
James was one of the sons of thunder. He's, he is a man that's going to sit on uh, one of the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the one that was closest to Yeshua, James, John, and Peter. These three were the innermost sanctum of the apostles in, in regard to the proximity of Yeshua. These three got to see things the other disciples didn't get to see, such as the transfiguration. And here you have Agrippa goes after James. And now, because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he's coming after Peter. Now, to truly appreciate this, again, you need to understand uh, historically who Agrippa was. Because most people just read, oh, the, you know, Herod the king went out and he did this, and, and they're thinking Herod the Gentile. Herod Agrippa lived his life in a manner that was honorable to a Jew, identifying as a Jew, going to the temple as a Jew, uh, having an incredible relationship with the Jewish leaders. And that's what makes this incredible. It makes it incredible and important. And so I think this is important enough just to, I, I want to go back, I want to take you to the writings of Josephus. I want you to see what Josephus, who is a Jew, obviously, Josephus is a Jewish historian or a Roman Jewish historian, but he identified with the Pharisees, the, the primary rulers, the rabbis of the day, okay? I want you to see what he says of Agrippa, which just adds to this, the bizarrety, if you will. Josephus says, he, Agrippa, also came to Jerusalem and offered all the sacrifices that belonged to him and omitted nothing which the Torah required. He omitted nothing. He himself was Torah observant. He sought to fulfill the obligations in Torah. On which account he ordained that many of the Nazarites should have their heads shorn. And for the golden chain, which had been given to him by Caius. We'll, we'll get into the golden chain in a second. So here you see with the Nazarites, this guy's heart is going forth. Hey, you guys need to keep the Torah. You guys all need to be shorn. He, he's not just himself seeking to keep Torah. His concern is that everyone's involved doing this. Let us all do this together. Okay, this is Agrippa. All right? And then it goes on and says, And for a golden chain which had been given to him by Caius, of equal weight with that iron chain wherewith his royal hands had been bound, he hung it up within the limits of the temple over the treasury. And there's a lot of backdrop to what was just said. And so I'll, just, I'll simplify it for you. Uh, Herod Agrippa was bound in chains. He was brought very low. But... He was released and ended up receiving a prominent place later on, which he recognized that though he was brought low, God brought him and elevated him to a position of power and honor. And to honor God, in which that happened to his life, Agrippa, okay, Agrippa ended up taking this chain hanging it up in the temple as a memorial to show everyone this is what God can do. He can bring you low and he can lift you up and restore you. And so, I mean, you start 
looking at who he really is in his very being. Going on, he returned the kindness, Agrippa, returned the kindness which the inhabitants of Jerusalem had shown him, for he released them from the tax upon houses, every one of whom paid it before, thinking it a good thing to requite or repay the tender affection of those that loved him. And so here you have the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and first and foremost, the leaders of the Jewish people of the day, the, the chief priests, you have the Pharisees, they loved him. And he loved them in return. He showed kindness in return. And so you got to understand this relationship that Agrippa has with, with the Jews in that day. Honestly, it couldn't be better. It couldn't be better. He couldn't have, he couldn't have shown more favor to the people and vice versa. And they couldn't have been happier, if you will. They wouldn't have been happier having anyone else lead them. One more statement. We're going to jump ahead. Josephus says, But after a very little while, the young men of Doris, preferring a rash attempt before piety and being uh, naturally bold and insolent, look at this, carried a statue of Caesar into a synagogue of the Jews and erected it there. This procedure of theirs greatly provoked Agrippa. And so Josephus recounts this story. And actually, he gets into the details. We're not going to do that. But he recounts this story where men ended up defiling a synagogue by bringing a pagan image and setting it up. I mean, that's idolatry. There's no other way to say it. Agrippa is livid by this. And he moves and takes action. And so, and, and I, I wanted to include this to show you that at every corner you can see through Josephus's accounts and history of who this Agrippa is and what he has done, he has fought the fight of a Jew to preserve the synagogues, to preserve the temple. This is his concern, all right? So this is this Agrippa, and when it says, and he saw that it pleased the Jews, now you understand there is a lot of backdrop here and connection to, well, they saw that I took out James and they were so happy with me. See, because amongst the Jewish leaders, Christianity, which was at this time explicitly Jewish, had nothing to do in the, in the beginning stages of Gentiles. It was explicitly a Jewish thing. That sect... Peter, James, John, the apostles were absolutely heretical to the chief priests and the rulers of the day. Absolutely heretical. And Agrippa would have saw it just as the rabbis saw it, just as the chief priests saw it. So taking James out made a lot of sense. And you look at this and it rips your soul up to see this division within Israel and that these leaders, and I mean, it's just like Yeshua said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. No sign's going to be given. He, in other words, testifying, this generation is wicked and evil. And, if, and, and he says in, in, in the Gospel of Luke, if this generation had knew the things that were for her peace, Jerusalem would have understood it. The inhabitants would have understood it. They wouldn't do what they were going to do, which was kill the king of glory. They didn't accept him. And so when you read Luke 19, it, because of that, this is why Jerusalem fell. They rejected its king. 
And so, but I mean, it, it tears you up inside to see all of this and how Yeshua would tell us in the Gospel of Matthew that uh, he doesn't come to bring peace, but a sword. A man's enemies will be those of his own household to divide a father from his son and a mother from her daughter. It tears you up. And so here you think just because, okay, you know, Agrippa's, he he's cares about the temple. He cares about the Torah. He cares about the Jewish leaders today. He's a great guy. And yet he's doing the work of the Antichrist. He's doing the work of the Antichrist. Again, it's hard to wrap your mind around it when you get into the historical context. The chaos that was ensuing was debilitating. I'm going to tell you right now, that kind of chaos is returning this very day. We are now entering into days that kind of craziness, that kind of chaos is going to hit. And it's painful. And it's going to rip you up inside. Now, continuing on in, in verse 3, And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. And it was during the feast of, or the days of unleavened bread, the Pesach, right? I mean, what is it about? Isn't this supposed to be a time where we get together and there's love and we're brought together in unity? And yet the apostles, James getting killed and Peter's being put in, in, in prison. During this time, it's like the devil loves this to happen at this time. To go after them at these moments. Man, I, I, you know... And most of you can appreciate this, but when you get around the festivals, it is all-out spiritual war. All-out spiritual war. Just look at this last Passover. How did that one look? Unprecedented. Never before in history had the entire world where synagogues closed all over the world. Messianic synagogues closed. Churches closed. Over that time of Passover, everyone locked in their houses I mean, that is absolutely demonic. Unbelievable, but not a coincidence. Not at all. Now, moving on to verse 4, we read, So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So look at what it is that say here. He puts him in prison. Now, if you're Peter, let's just put our ourselves in Peter's shoes for a moment. If you're Peter and your good faithful brother James, brother in the Lord, not physical brother, but brother in the Lord, just got wiped out, a man you've done ministry shoulder to shoulder with, a man you've seen incredible things, Mount of Transfiguration with, what are you thinking as Peter? I'm going to the stocks and I'm going to be killed. There's no question about it. I mean, this is probably the, the frame of mind. Peter's probably prepping himself for death. And not that he feared it. Peter was so strong in the faith. This is the guy that people were walking in his shadow to be healed. I mean, in his mind, he's preparing himself, right? Well, verse 5, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. So when you think about what the writer says in, in Hebrews 13.3, that we're to remember prisoners as if being chained with them, we can actually see these people putting this into practice right in the first century, right as the church 
is being persecuted as it's growing, they're implementing this. It doesn't say, and they gave a, a, you know, a quick prayer. Hey, hey, guys, say a quick prayer for Peter. Uh, he's in prison. These people dropped to their knees. These people gave constant prayer as being chained with him. They put chains on with Peter through prayer. They didn't leave him. And man, I got to tell you right now, we're going to need this kind of faithfulness and this kind of heart in the days that are ahead. Because there are going to be Christians put to death. There are going to be Christians that are going to be persecuted. There are going to be Christians that are going to be imprisoned. And we as the body, we have got to intercede. We have got to be like these men and women that are dropping to their knees and praying and knowing the power of prayer. I mean, how did it work out for these guys to give up constant prayer for Peter? I'll tell you how it worked out. Peter was set free. Now, it wouldn't been his first time. This was not his first rodeo, but in this instance, it was so surreal. Peter didn't know it was real. He thought it was a vision. He, he didn't think it was real. He had had visions before. The sheet coming down three times, Acts 10. He thought it was a vision when an angel came and got him and took him out past the first gate, the second gate, and then through the main gates. Thought it was, And then only after he came to himself did he realize an angel of God was involved. That's the power of brothers and sisters coming together, not letting go, being chained with their brothers in prison and offering up prayer so that their fellow brethren can be protected, so that God can intervene. And in this instance, God intervened on his behalf. Verse 11, we read, we'll jump ahead. When Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel, and he has delivered me from the hand of Herod, and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. See, Herod Agrippa was doing the work and the expectation of the Jewish people. And remember how crazy, this sounds crazy. Peter's Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. All the first believers were Jewish. And yet their entire, all of Israel seemed to be against them. Oh, it's painful. It's absolutely painful to read this. Verse 12. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Isn't that amazing? They're still praying for Peter. They had gathered together to offer up constant prayer, and they didn't stop until Peter actually himself shows up. It shows the power. I mean, you want to talk about a testimony for those laboring in prayer. We're praying for Peter. We're praying for his protection. Lord, have mercy on him. Release on him. Next thing you know, there's a knock at the door, and there's Peter. He's at the door. Glory Hallelujah. Amen. How powerful is, is that? As we look at Hebrews 13, in light of the days ahead, and may I say the days that are already here, I'm asking you personally, don't forget your brothers and sisters that we need to labor for them in prayer. I am. I pray, you know, my prayer truly is that the Lord burdens you for 
this ministry to pray for us, uh, to pray for Pastor Craig, to pray for Bruce, to pray for all the leaders, to pray for our worship team that labor so hard in worship, to pray for our congregants that go through struggles and tribulations and that this community is constantly laying up prayer for those of you who are not here physically, that are spread out all over the world. Uh, through the same Spirit, there's one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is one Spirit. May that one Spirit connect all of us through faith in the Messiah Yeshua. And that the prayer is central to this time. To be humble, to be on our knees, that's where, that's where it is. That's where the battle begins and that's where the battle will end. I can tell you that from experience. This is where we need to do battle. There's nothing more precious than believers getting together and praying. There's nothing more precious than you privately, when no one else is watching, going to your prayer closet, dropping to your knees and praying for others. Praying for their well-being, praying for their safety, praying for their marriages, praying for their children to come back to the Lord. There's some of you, I know your children haven't come back yet. That kills me. I am burdened to pray for you, to pray for those that, because I know as a parent, nothing can rip you up more. And there's nothing more gratifying to a parent than to see their children walk with the Lord. Nothing matters more to me. I don't care if they have riches, anything like that, and whatever the world can throw, that's irrelevant. All that matters is that they become radical for the faith, that they know how to pray that they know how to encourage, that they know how to read God's word and to allow it in. That's all that matters at the end of the day. Now, I want to give kudos to the audience of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. This Okay, so the writer, Jewish writer, writing to his fellow Jewish brethren, they need to be commended because this very thing that the writer is writing to them, they've already done They've already put it into practice. And I just want to share this with you in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. Those who were against suffering, they went and locked shields with. They wept with those who wept. Awesome. Verse 34, and getting to the primary point. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So understand, the writer writing to his Jewish brethren saying, remember those who are chained, it's coming from a personal experience of himself. It's a very intimate statement. He is making the statement, remind him, do this, because I know what it meant to me. I know what you did for me. That was huge. And so it's not just about barking orders. That's not what the writer is doing. He, he's a recipient of this love and compassion. And so with that said, we're going to do something special now. Is I'm going to have a special guest join us. It's going to be Gene Stanitsky, uh, who is part of 
our prison ministry. He actually heads up our prison ministry. And in light of reading Hebrews 13.3, I think it is very beneficial to bring him on and uh, just to hear a few, he has a few words for us and uh, to talk to him about prison ministry and about remembering those who are in prison and in going beyond that in regard to the body, understanding evangelism in the prison ministry. So what we're going to do is I'm going to invite Gene Studnitsky with us, a pastor of prison ministry. Mr. Gene Studnitsky, thank you for joining us today on this beautiful Shabbat. Brought you in here because I want you to share uh, your experience in prison ministry and even encourage other people who may not be involved in any ministry to actually be motivated to do something they never even thought of doing, and that is getting involved in the jails and bringing the gospel to these people that are behind bars, that need hope, that need salvation, that need forgiveness. And so, Gene, start off by telling us, how, how long have you been in prison ministry? Probably about eight or nine years. Awesome. And what would you, what would you say is probably the most rewarding thing that you have acquired over these years? Well, one of the most rewarding things that I've acquired is knowledge of Scripture. Okay. Because I have to go study it before I can teach it. I love it. You're being pushed. Yeah. Right. Yeah, beautiful. You know, and I started out doing word searches on a particular subject, and that's what I'd go in and teach. Hmm. One example is, is I was teaching on being slow to anger. Awesome. And then I had, after my time was up, I had a guy come in. And he started, uh, he read some scripture, and his quotation was way off. And he started saying, oh, talking about capping people and this kind of stuff. So I told him it was time for him to leave. I got up and I went and I held the door open for him. And I told him, look, I'll even hold the door open for me, for you. And he went out cursing me, of course. But the guys that were in there had a good laugh because they said, look, you had to practice what you were teaching. That is fantastic. What a light. To be a light in that very moment, they saw you not just preaching the word, but living it right on the spot. And I bet that spoke to them uh, in profound ways. Yes. Well, I've had people ask, well, what are you like outside of here? I told them to come and follow me. Uh, awesome. awesome. How, what, how, what a better witness than to come and see how do I live outside of the church or the jail? Yeah. And it's, it's hard I mean, what these prisoners are up against, these inmates, their being inside the jails is a very oppressive environment. It can be a very dark in, environment. And would you say that's a fair assessment, Gene? And you're kind of going in at this, uh, really having to fight the powers of darkness. It is. The one thing, though, the people are coming in on a volunteer basis yes. to learn scripture. So the majority of them want to. So they're they looking for hope. They're looking for hope. I had one gentleman tell me he checked out everything I taught and he found out it was true. Awesome. You know, and that's what we're there to teach is the truth of God's word, not a denomination because denominations, they divide people. Yeah. Although we have, I can tell you personally, because Gene and I have sat down and had to have some discussions with uh, chaplains involved that are presiding over certain jails. And 
sitting down, not everybody is so excited to see Corner Fringe Ministries' Gene Studnitsky come into their jails. And one thing I can I can share with the audience, Gene, is that uh, my exposure to this and going with Gene, I really saw that there's a stranglehold. The devil does not want the truth of God's word being brought into the jails. Uh, they want to keep everything very non-controversial. They don't want you to say anything that rocks the boat. And of course, some of these chaplains are, are not Torah observant. And so they don't appreciate people talking about Shabbat. They don't appreciate people talking about food laws um, against about the Torah. And so they're, you know, for, for us coming into the prisons, it's not just the challenge of dealing with these demonic spirits and these issues that people are struggling with in life. Uh, then you have to deal with the people that allow you to come into the prisons. You have to, I mean, so there's a, it's only by the grace of God that we, we can get into these places. And so these challenges are incredible. But how do you navigate that, Gene? Well, you just tell the truth. <laughs> what else can you do? Um, when they were going to pull me out of, uh, when the scheduling organization was going to pull me out of one jail, they sent in one of their top guns, so to speak. And he went in when I was teaching, and he told the men at that time that, oh, all you have to do is ask Jesus into your heart, and you don't have to do anything. God will do it all, which is a complete lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And when I told the people in charge at that organization that, they says, well, that's just a theological difference. But Yeshua never told anybody, go and sit on your hands. When he healed somebody, or he always say, go and sin no more. That's exactly what he said, go and sin no more. It's to tremble in fear before God and to cherish what is holy. And so... Uh, I appreciate you doing that, Gene. Have and I ask this rhetorically: Have we ever been kicked out of a jail? Oh, of course. Yeah. Actually, twice. <laughs> <laughs> Why have we been kicked out of the jail, Gene? Well, I was accused of telling a homosexual that he was uh, not going to make it into God's kingdom. Which, if we read First Corinthians six, we'll know that that's true. Amen. Unless they repent. Amen. You know, that isn't exactly what I said. I brought him back to Leviticus, and I told him, it says that a man should not sleep with a man like he does with a woman. And it was wrong back then, and it's still wrong today. That's what got me taken out of the jail. Wow. Oh, so there you have just a perfect example, guys, of what some of the challenges are or what they can be in these prisons where it's not just simply dealing with the inmates it's the fact that the people that are in control that that facilitate ministries coming in are very concerned about not saying anything controversial that's concerning when all we want to do is come and bring the truth and so that just shows you that the devil is very very involved in the prisons and they need light and thy word is a lamp unto thy feet. And this is exactly what Gene has been doing for years, is he has been bringing light into the prisons, and the enemy hates it. And even to the point where, unfortunately, we've been kicked out of places uh, for doing nothing but preaching the truth and love. And that is so sad. So we definitely, if you can remember Gene in your prayers, 
please pray for him and pray for doors to be open uh, for our jail ministry uh, to get back into these jails because I'm telling you this is this is a place that needs the truth and um, so Gene what else would you like to share with us in regard to your experience uh, in the jails that you think it is good for the audience to know well when Yeshua or Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment and he said to love God with all our heart and our soul and our and our mind and to love your neighbor as yourself you know so many times I've heard this taught and people stop there so it leaves us with the question is how do you do that well reread the next line for this is the law and the prophets and if you go to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 the first four show us how to love the Father you know love God you know and him only don't have any other gods before him we don't put make any idols before him we don't take his name in vain and we keep the Sabbath yeah. keeping the Sabbath is a sign that we love him it's a sign on who we serve amen you know amen. and that unfortunately that's a stumbling block uh, for most Christians yeah. you know then we're told to love our father and our mother you know it doesn't say after just if they're perfect it tells us to do it Amen. it tells us not to murder not to steal not to commit adultery you know not to covet all those things if I'm not doing those things to you it's showing love to you it's just ironic to me that here you have inmates that have broken the law and when we come in saying we're bound to keep God's law this is the right way and you get thrown out of prisons for this it's just it's just so it is so the work of the enemy that is moving about anything else Gene that you'd like to share well there's one of the guys I visited in prison and there's times I went in there and he'd be so down on himself uh, by the time I was sp there spending that hour with him it was like he was a completely different person Amen. that encouragement with the Word of God it, it lifts us up it builds us up and that's what we need to be doing a lot of these people are not just in jail but outside the jail don't have that self-confidence on who their father is on how much they're loved how much they're valued by God and that's one of the things we need to teach them is you're so precious precious enough that he would send his son to die for you amen and I would you say as far as your experience goes and I don't want to get too deep in the psychology or anything like that but uh, many of these men uh, or even women in, in the prisons many of them have an absent father and that has dramatically impacted their life the decisions that they make how they feel in their heart and I, I merely bring this up because you know this nation is I feel like it's hell-bent on absolutely destroying families uh, divorce rates are out of control marriage is not even it's not even thought of as a commitment in any way uh, it is just a thing that you feel and if you don't feel it anymore then it doesn't matter you get rid of your spouse or you just leave and these things have dramatic implications on society 
And you want to speak to that, Gene. Are you noticing a lot of these guys that you're dealing with have the absent father situation? Well, absent uh, father situation, um, there's all kinds of statistics on that. Absolutely. It's, it's pretty well known. Yeah. Um, how can a young man know how to be a man if there's no father there, mm -hmm. if he's not disciplined? It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. Well, Yeshua says if, if you spare the rod, you hate your child. Or it's, it's in Psalms. Yeah. Um, we all need discipline. We all need a way to go. Amen. And our Heavenly Father disciplines those, disciplines those who He loves. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, we still need it, and we're not scared to pray for it. Amen. Well, for those of you who are not involved in ministry or in prison ministry, let it be something that you consider. If you have questions about getting involved in prison ministry, Gene wants you to call him. And so we invite you to contact us. You can contact us through our website. You can contact us on Facebook. And we'll put you in contact with Gene. Uh, he would love to talk to you about prison ministry if this is something that the, the Spirit of God is moving in your heart. But one thing I know is we need this in prisons. The gospel needs to go out. Uh, Yeshua's name needs to be preached. They need him so desperately. Well, there's one other thing we should think about, and that's Joseph back in Genesis. Mm. How one man changed the prison he was in simply by following God's commandments so much, loving God so much, that the prison guards put him in charge of the other detainees. Mm -hmm. There was peace, at least in his area. Amen. And we have that same vision for all the prisons today. We need a godly man inside there. Praise God, Gene. Way to bring it, brother. Way to bring the good news and bring the word. With that said, please pray for Gene Stanitsky as he continues to do the jail ministries. He's hoping to get back in there uh, sometime soon. Uh, and again, continue to pray for this ministry. We need your prayers. Uh, bless you and look forward to seeing you guys next week, God willing.